This is a Federal News Network podcast. In a bid to make sure no brain power is overlooked, and the Army has established research partnerships with historically black and minority-serving colleges and universities. The topics, artificial intelligence and machine learning. With details on how the initiative works and what the Army hopes to get, we have the Outreach Program Manager at the Army Combat Capabilities Development Command's Research Laboratory, Dr. Val Emery. Dr. Emery, good to have you on. Hello, how are you? And thanks for having me. Tell us about this program. This is aimed at the faculty of these types of colleges, and uh, what is it you're going to do with them? The faculty immersion, Army Faculty Immersion Program is the brainchild of the former uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army for Research and Technology, Dr. Phil Perconti. Um, in February of 2021, the Acting Secretary of the Army hosted a HBCU technical forum announcing initiatives that would that were designed to get minority-serving institutions more engaged with Army science and technology. This area of artificial intelligence and machine learning has become something of a strategic national issue, and it sounds like perhaps the historically black universities and colleges and the minority-serving institutions weren't participating as fully as they could. Absolutely. The impetus for this, the Army has designated priority technology areas. Artificial intelligence and machine learning is one of the priority areas of emphasis. This particular topic provides an opportunity for a broad group of minority-serving institutions to effectively participate, submit proposals to participate with Army scientists and engineers and major colleges and universities in a novel research project. Now, faculty immersion program, does that mean that faculty that are chosen go to the Army, say, at the research center and work alongside Army researchers? What does it mean to be immersed? The program has three phases. The first phase, the faculty at a minority-serving institution will submit a proposal detailing their interest in artificial intelligence and machine learning, but also there will be an opportunity for the university to talk about what kind of support they will be providing this faculty person when they came back to the school. We're trying to build capacity in this particular area, so by having faculty trained or developed, they will bring this new capacity or capability back to the university and expand curriculum. By immersion, what the first phase will be the proposal phase. They're selected. They will come to an Army laboratory and spend 10 weeks, a minimum of 10 weeks in that Army laboratory working, learning the Army AIML infrastructure and learning the areas of, of emphasis for us. The second phase will be they will spend a semester at a major research institution, majority institution, working with a research faculty there to learn more about the academic side of it, how to develop curriculum, how to write strong proposals, how to establish a laboratory, and uh, ensure that the Army can get uh, benefit from the research that's going on on campus. And the third phase will be with the assistance of that majority institution faculty, as well as with the Army researcher, a research project will be identified that faculty person from the minority institution will return to their home institution and conduct a fully funded research project in a topic area that uh, they collaborate on. So in some ways, this is a three-way partnership, that is, with majority institutions, the Army, 
and the minority-serving institutions. Absolutely. It's to expand the ecosystem, to build networks, uh, because historically we go to the same folk in academia uh, because they have the known capacity and capability. We're trying to broaden the aperture to allow more opportunity to take advantage of the human resources, the human capital we have across the country. We are speaking with Dr. Val Emery, the Outreach Program Manager at the Army Combat Capabilities Development Command Research Laboratory, and in having the professors eventually go back to their home institutions to do a funded research project is the intention that they would involve students at those institutions in the research, and thereby you're, in a sense, educating the educators. That is absolutely the focus. We we anticipate that faculty having students or teaming with other faculty to broaden and expand the capabilities at their home institutions. And what kind of professors in the first place from the minority-serving institutions and the historically black colleges and universities are you looking for? Do they have to be math professors and science? Or suppose someone is teaching, I don't know, the history of Flemish art, and they decide, well, you know, I'd like to do something useful for my country and maybe work with the Army on artificial intelligence. The first criteria is that all of the faculty have to be U.S. citizens, Second criteria is they have to be what's classified as a junior faculty, in other words, not having more than seven years uh, in teaching experience. And this way, they w- we hope that they will grow into research and, 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 and uh, development at their institutions. With respect to the academic disciplines, if they have a capacity or a capability on the institutions to do AI, ML, artificial intelligence, machine learning. It could be a computer scientist, a computer engineer. It can be an elect, uh, electrical engineer, a physicist. So a majority of the technical academic disciplines, there are potential applications for AI, ML in those departments. And what is the Army itself hoping to get? The Army is hoping to get not only expanded research or broadened research in some of the areas that are of emphasis today, but also there's a potential for having new talent resources coming out of these institutions who may have an interest in collaborating with us. We're building the network of academic partners. There's the potential that uh, through some of these engagements, there can be some industry partners. So we're trying to, again, expand the ecosystem of scientists and engineers that are familiar with Army science and technology. And the other piece of it is that we are trying to grow the bench from a U.S. citizen standpoint because of national security implications. And we'll put a link to where people can sign up to apply, but tell us what the deadlines are and what some of the timelines here are. Proposals are due from the faculty members October 1, so we have a very short timeline from this interview for folk to participate. Once we receive the applications, they will be evaluated by a team of subject matter experts and the director of basic, Army Director of Basic Research and senior team member from the Army Futures Command will do the down select and select the finalist faculty. And uh, we hope to have the first faculty selected by January and in an Army laboratory by the summer. Hopefully by mid-May, we will have someone coming to one of our laboratories and all of the Army's S&T infrastructure has the opportunity to participate in this program. So technical area of expertise 
uh, can be very broad, from the Corps of Engineers, the medical community, um, the Army's physical sciences community. So all of the Army's S&T infrastructure are participating in this initiative. Dr. Val Emery is the Outreach Program Manager at the Army Combat Capabilities Development Command Research Laboratory. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. We'll post this interview, plus a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, 
I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. 
they're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. With winter weather making it harder to stay active, here's a gift idea for the outdoor adventurer in your life. The Allbirds Mizzle Collection. The Allbirds Mizzle is designed for those who won't take snow for an answer, featuring built-in puddle guard technology to keep the winter wonderland where it belongs, not in your shoe. The weather-ready sole offers enhanced traction, so you go on winter runs with confidence. And it's made with premium ZQ Merino wool, a naturally insulating material that keeps your feet warm and sports a low environmental impact. Allbirds displays their carbon footprint right on the shoe, so you can see the difference for yourself. On top of that, they actually offset the carbon footprint to zero, making their missile collection completely carbon neutral. So you can stay warm and dry while trading lighter. This holiday season, get on their nice list when you shop the Allbirds Mizzle Collection. Discover your perfect pair at Allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com.